you remember the good old days when all you had to worry about was getting your homework done and getting home before curfew? Before you had to worry about jobs, projects, working, when you could long for a summer vacation and a winter break? Well, this is the podcast for when you realize that life can be hard. Hold on one moment. <sighs> Finally, he's gone. The last thing I need to hear is him plugging another podcast. Come take a listen to my show, Adulting Ain't Easy, every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, following. the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. This is episode. 41 of Poor360. As always, I am your host, Andrew Poor, and I want to thank you for joining me here on this Monday evening. Now, for those of you who are just now finding the show, this is a show that covers topics. This covers news. This covers kind of everything in between. Um, lately, it's been a lot about politics because we are in the midst of uh, election season. Uh, we have a lot of Democratic candidates running, um, and we have Trump, uh, as far as we know, still running on the Republican side. And it's really, at this point, anyone's ball game. Who's to say how this is going to turn out? But it's always, always a good time. But what we get back to today is a topic that I thought about as I was listening to uh, today, or yesterday's Journey into Comics. I'm actually recording this a little late in the day, and I'm just coming off of watching the trailer for the uh, Rise of the Skywalker, the final uh, film in the Skywalker saga. It looks beautiful. I definitely cannot wait to see it. I know people have already bought tickets, and it's last I checked, it sold 45% more in the first hour than Avengers Endgame did. Especially considering the tickets dropped this evening as opposed to like early in the AM that Avengers did. So that's pretty impressive. And actually, uh, saw they actually have like a Q weight system line in, so it's actually a little bit better than it than it was before. So now where did it bring to today? So I was listening to JIC and they were talking about this whole thing with uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese. So both directors, both very established, very prominent directors, very old Hollywood directors, um, both men who have made uh, great films of this, obviously they can't, also kind of very similar to the vein. you got The Godfather, you have um, The Departed, Taxi Driver, a lot of these old classic films uh, involving some big name actors of the time. And these guys... Um, aren't doing a whole lot now. The only reason Scorsese is kind of uh, in the publicity circuit now is because he has the movie The Irishman coming out with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and um, Al Pacino, and it looks like it's going to be a great film coming on Netflix. A lot of awards buzz around it, and that's why he's in the the conversation. He's just talking to reporters, just kind of drumming up support and um, just interest in his film, which is Looks great. There's a lot of de-aging effects and 
the meticulous nature of Scorsese should make that really well. And it came up, someone asked him a question about how he felt about kind of the Marvel films and the, these big blockbuster films kind of in um, the mainstream blowing up box office. And he kind of said, said, like, hey, these aren't my thing. I consider them not to be cinema. I consider them to be more the theme parks of the movie world. And, and then that kind of blew up and everyone was complaining about it and saying how Scorsese films weren't good and how um, how he's only saying this because he's not getting like a big uh, he's not getting that nice Marvel money for this true film he's doing and it's all just a matter uh, kind of a perception and we also saw Coppola come out and call it it was just despicable and what they're doing but this is all just these men's opinion. Like, we also remember not too long ago that Spielberg was talking about how the superhero genre is going to go the way of the Western. This this is its hater now. This is where every film is a superhero film, but those will come to end and they'll become more sparse and it'll kind of, they'll fade and then they'll come back in 40 years and be something else again. Which it, it very well may. Like, I don't know if we're going to be watching superhero films in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. I don't know if I will. I don't know if I'm going to be in my 70s watching uh, the next Marvel film or Phase 17. If there will even be a Marvel in there, who knows? At that point, Disney might have gobbled up DC and just destroyed the whole comic universe. But I don't I don't know. That's way off in the future. But I think it's definitely a real possibility that the super genre could fade in time. Or at least get to a point where there will be some sense of fatigue, maybe not in the respect, but maybe the box office numbers will start to dwindle as people find the next thing, because that's what happens. The way the cassette tape died bringing away the compact disc, and the compact disc died bringing out the streaming, there might be something that will replace superhero movies as the dominant box office genre in the likes of what we haven't seen before, but... We don't know what that's going to be yet. It could be some crazy new sci-fi thing, or who knows. But, like I said, those, the two directors' opinions, they're just two men's opinions. They've, they may not have, they're just, they're old, like, it, I don't think I can take too much stock into what they're saying. Obviously, if you respect those directors, you might value their opinion, but... If they haven't seen it, they're just being kind of crotchety old men. The only reason we care that what they're saying is because it's about movies that we like, and we're taking a personal offense to it. We're saying that they're since they're disliking a movie that we love, or that we've seen 17 times in theaters, and bought it the second it came out on Blu-ray, and watched it 30 times since you've brought it home, and watch it every weekend, and that they didn't like it, things like it's a personal attack on you, which is not the case. There's, there's a time that we just... These men just don't like it. Like, the same reason I don't expect my grandma to go see Star Wars, the last Star Wars movie, because she's a 93-year-old woman who just, Star Wars was never her thing. That's that's fine. And the only reason we're even hearing about all this is because these journalists are going out and asking old directors, hey, what do you think of these Marvel films? Because they know whatever response they get, they can say... Martin Scorsese said this. 
Francis Ford Coppola said this about a Marvel film. And then you're like, well, what's that? And then they get ad buys. And they get all this. It's So it's just clickbait stuff. The same reason we saw when Sp- everything happened with Spider-Man over the summer. Any article featuring Spider-Man got a click. So they would start rehashing the same article with a new title or a new headline and a new date just to get that extra click, to get that extra ad revenue. And that's the only reason we're seeing this. Like, if it comes... If, I'm guaranteeing if someone wrote an article with a title, George Lucas said this about Rise of Skywalker after seeing it, I know a ton of people are going to click that article to figure out what it is. Even if it's just like, yeah, I saw it. And that was the only headline. Like, that was the only thing he reported saying to, like, a news person that caught him as he was walking out of a restaurant. Like, that's the world we live in and the age of me and all this. But, like, honestly, if I want to know the opinion of two 80-ish-year-old men, I'm just going to bring up politics at Thanksgiving. Like, I could care less about what they think. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of a film one iota. Like, if the if someone I deeply respected, like... I'd much rather take the opinion of my friends. Like, I remember talking to uh, Nate about this. Is um, I'm going to get into this a little bit more later. But I was talking to Nate um, after dinner about uh, about the Joker. And I and even, like, when I first saw it, I messaged him and told him my thoughts on it and other friends. And he said, based on your opinion, which I take, like, I respect, and based on the other people said, I really need to see this movie, I'm going to go see it. Like... I'm sure if a bunch of us said, like, hey, this isn't going to be a good movie for you, I don't think you should see it, that opinion of, like, a friend or someone who I know has a similar taste that I do, a similar interest, that's going to influence my perception of what I want to see in that movie. I might still go see it, but I know I'm like, oh, I might not like this. But I'm not going to take an opinion of, like, oh, if, like, I'm trying to think. Let's say Kevin Smith, also a director, Big Marvel fan, DC fan, all uh, just entertainment medium fan, comic book fan. Also made a movie. But say he said, like he saw Rise Skywalker and hated it. Said it ruined the Star Wars franchise. I don't think he would, even if it was terrible. I don't think he would. He would find something to like about it. But that wouldn't, I would just be like, oh, that really sucks. I thought he really loved those movies, even like the ones that weren't as well received. That kind of sucks for him. It's not going to stop me from wanting to see it. I'll kind of say that sucks. I'm still going to go. But you just don't have any to wrap yourself up in what other people think of a movie or what think of a joke. Like, there's movies I love that my wife doesn't like, that my friends don't like, and that's just, that's on them. I like the movie, I'm going to keep watching it, and vice versa. There's movies other people love that I don't like. And again, let's, speaking of Kevin Smith, so Nate and I were actually going to talk about that new uh, Jay and Silent Bob movie that came out that got a Fathom Events release and then doing a reboot roadshow kind of running around the country for the next few months to kind of show this film. and But uh, Nate had some uh, power issues, so we couldn't do that. So that's why I'm talking about this. And Kevin Smith's movies have also probably been kind of derided by critics since, like, Chasing Amy and Clerks, those which received really well, like Mallrats and Tusk and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back have all been less received and maybe disliked, but... They became cult hits, and everyone loves them, and Kevin Smith became a great cult filmmaker throughout all of this, and even, like, Yoga Hoses, which he always makes fun of himself, even though he does that just because if he makes fun of it, then it takes the power away from people, other people who make fun of it, and it's just, it's his thing. But that's all it comes down to taste. Like, 
I like those movies. Like, I had much more emotional resonance watching Jay and Silent Bob reboot than I did at the end of Avengers Endgame. Just because when you're I have a personal connection to a film, then you followed it for so long. Same as Avengers Endgame, and say a lot of these films that have a build up to a point to like the end of a conclusion, the end of a trilogy. Like and any time it gets to a personal level, like obviously the Tony Stark's the Avenger game endgame is is heartbreaking or the cheeseburger moment in that. It's you you feel the emotion there, and the same thing I felt at the end of it. But when you ever have an emotional connection to something, that's what makes it that much more powerful. And if someone came out like after I walked out of that theater and said like, "Oh, that movie sucked," like, did we watch the same movie? Like, I thought that was the movie was amazing. I loved that movie. It had everything I was looking for. You feel persevered. Like, how can you be negative against something that I found so powerful and so potent? And I think that's kind of where we're just kind of getting as as a point. Like, let's. It's all just about taste and perception and how you. and your personal feelings about a thing to make it that much more powerful to you. And just because I love something doesn't mean it's better than someone that something else loves. That's just I have a better connection with it than they do. And there's nothing wrong with that. So my opinion, Martin Scorsese's opinion, Francis Ford Coppola's opinion, is their opinions all matter, but they don't matter any more or less than anyone else's. It's just, like I said, it's your own opinion, it's your own thoughts, your own taste, your own perceptions about how you felt in that moment or how you felt from what you've heard if you haven't seen a movie. So, like, will my parents go see a Marvel DC film? Very unlikely. Like, I don't think they've seen one. They may have saw, like, Batman 89, but they haven't seen anything new. Will they go see a Martin Scorsese film? Probably. Like, it's it's very likely they've saw movies in the past. They see a trailer, they're probably going to go. It really depends on how my, both my parents feel. Like, sometimes my parents like action-y films. Or like, like, my dad randomly liked... The Hunger Games movies, based on catching half of one on TV and then had to go rent the other ones to see it and then saw the new one in theaters. Like, that's... Sometimes it happens, but... They're not gonna just go see a movie because... It could... You have to see something for yourself to really judge something. And it kind of comes back to, like, another example. Nate and Alex love professional wrestling, and... If you do, then definitely go check out Journey to Wrestling. It's definitely your cup of tea. Like, I don't listen to that podcast because I don't... I'm not into wrestling. I It was never something I was a fan of. I remember watching it when I was a kid, and it that's kind of where it stayed. I know it, I remember just seeing from clips, and I see YouTube videos, and it just it gets over the top. Sometimes it's not my thing. Does that mean it's bad entertainment? No, it's... For those who love it, it's great. The more power to you. It's just not my thing, but which is fact versus opinion and really everything in between. So, like I said, before I get further into this discussion, which will kind of tie up entertainment, which I've been talking about since I started talking, and kind of the politics and everything that you kind of expect from this channel or this uh, this podcast, and I found two things I was kind of doing my research on this, which is distinguishing between fact and opinion, belief and prejudice. I found this thing... Um, it's from like a kind of a, a journalism uh, course 
at a, at a college and I found the article. I was just searching uh, fact versus opinion and it came up. And I thought it was had some pretty good things to say. So, when forming personal convictions, we often interpret factual evidence through the filter of our values, feelings, tastes, and past experiences. Hence, most statements we make in speaking and writing are assertions of fact, opinion, belief, or prejudice. The usefulness and acceptability of an assertion can be improved or diminished by the nature of the assertion, depending on which of the following categories it falls into. A fact is verifiable. We can determine whether it's true by researching the evidence. This may involve numbers, dates, testimony, etc. Example, World War II ended in 1945. The truth of the fact is beyond argument if one can assume that measuring devices or records or memories are correct. Facts provide crucial support for the assertion of an argument. However, facts by themselves are worthless unless we put them in context, draw conclusions, and thus, sorry, we put them in context, draw conclusions, and thus give them meaning. An opinion is a judgment based on facts. An honest attempt to draw a reasonable conclusion from factual evidence. For example, we know that millions of people go without proper medical care. And so you form the opinion that the country should institute national health insurance even though it would cost billions of dollars. An, op an opinion is potentially changeable depending on how the evidence is interpreted. By themselves, opinions have a little power to convince. You must always let your reader know that your evidence is and how it let you led you to arrive at your opinion. Unlike an opinion, a belief is conviction based on cultural or personal faith, morality, or values, such as catch capital punishment is legalized murder, are often called opinions because they express viewpoints, but they are not based on facts or other evidence. They cannot be disproved or even contested in a rational, logical manner, since beliefs are, inargu are inarguable. That is a really a weird word to say. Inarguable. They cannot serve as the thesis of a formal argument. Emotional appeals can, of course, be useful if you happen to know that your audience share those beliefs. Which is kind of where the, the movie thing kind of comes into play. Another kind of assertion that has no place in serious argumentation is prejudice, a half-baked opinion based on insufficient or unexamined evidence. Example, women are bad drivers. Unlike a belief, a prejudice is testable. It can be contested and disproved on the basis of facts. We often form prejudices or accept them from others, family, friends, the media, etc., without questioning their meaning or testing their truth. At best, prejudices are careless oversimplifications. At worst, they reflect a narrow-minded view of the world. Most of all, they're not likely to win the confidence or grievement of your readers. And this is from the Little Brown Handbook um, on writing from 1986. So it's a little dated, but I think the what it says holds true. And I think a lot of the whole thing of prejudice is really where we get a lot of kind of the news coverage. The things that we see the president talking about, we see other politicians, we see the media talk about, is that at best, prejudice are careless oversimplifications that worse they reflect a narrow-minded view of the world. Which I think is where we end up with a lot. And... Like I said, like, everyone has their own opinions, they have their own beliefs, and obviously people can argue and debate and go back and forth, but it's even shown facts, sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to shake someone's opinion of something or how they feel. If they really have a deep-seated prejudice about something... Showing facts will only just anger them and cause the argument or whatever the discussion to fall apart. And that brings me kind of to that, how this gets us to where we are now. 
So, with fact and opinion, how do we define that reality in the era of fake news? Fake news has been going on since Trump entered office. It's the thing that the president will say in regards to things that the news and, like, the mainstream media, as he puts it, which is, like, CNN, Fox News, NBC. And I'm including Fox News because it is a form of mainstream media, even if it does portray the president in a more flattering light in most situations. But the way... With the things they say that he disagrees, even if they are shown to be factual. He says they're fake news because he doesn't like them. Which I remember being an intro is that... It was a one of the intros on a previous version of uh, a podcast involving my name. Had the intro in saying fake news. It changed, basically a, a collection of Donald Trump saying fake news. And then it said, it's uh, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's fake. Was kind of something I said. And that's how it kind of introed that. But where we get here. A 2018 study... Um, this is this is an article um, from the the Youth Journal. Um, so, a twenty twenty study finally confirmed it. Your brain does not distinguish between facts and opinions it already agrees with. The phenomenon is called involuntary opinion confirmation, and explains why it's so hard to change some folks' minds, even when presented with concrete scientific evidence that rebukes their opinion. It explains why you cannot. Mention climate change without your own one weird uncle ruining Christmas dinner. While even some of the most politically informed among us continue to like, share, and comment on fake news. Articles tied in that could only be objectively described as nonsense. However, the more I find myself trying to convince seemingly inconvincible people of objective, rational, scientifically supported facts, the more I begin to wonder what is fact, what is proof of a fact, and what is reality. If a flat earther's definition of proof consists of what they can see, personally see and feel, and my definition consists of some thousands of years of scientific evidence, while others' definition of proof consists of perhaps a science fiction novel, then how are a lot of us ever supposed to come to terms with of what is and isn't real? If we are arguing the same subject using different criteria for what we define reality, then what is reality? And if we can't agree on a universal definition of reality, then how can we ever begin to collaborate or solve our shared challenges as human beings? I don't know. I don't expect any of us to ever know for sure, but here's my opinion. Which when we get to opinion, fact, all that. So, how to define reality in the era of fake news? The question of reality is a question of perception. More specifically, the question of the relative value and truthfulness of different perspectives. In the scientific, spiritual, and philosophical realms, there seems to be... Three prevailing perspectives on reality. There is subjective reality. This is the reality that exists inside your head. It's the one you can see, touch, taste, hear, and feel. The one that climate change deniers are using when they say, where's global warming now during the first snowfall this season? As a writer, I like to call this perspective the first-person narrative. The next one is social reality. Social or consensus reality is shared between you and I and the rest of the world. Is rather that we collectively experience. If you and I both agree that the sky is blue, then the blueness of the sky is a part of our social reality. And if we also agree that the sky is blue because a deity made it so, then we've developed a faith based in our shared social reality. However, what if our subjective reception of blueness differs in everything but the name? 
What if blue to me looks red to you? And how many people need to share one perception of reality for it to be considered a social reality? In Christianity, with more than 2 billion adherents, more socially real than a cult of 13 people. Oh, is Christianity, with more than 2 billion adherents, more socially real than a cult of 13 people? That's actually an interesting point. We should might have to dial into that more on a different podcast. But, gets us to the next one. Objective reality. This is the reality that exists outside of our perception of it. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, this is the reality in which that tree makes a sound. Objective reality is omniscient and currently impossible to prove because human beings don't have any reliable way of taking this point of view. We can only dance around it with our subjective eyes and ears and hands and noses. Objective reality is what I'm talking about when I refer to a universal definition of reality. It's what the scientific community chases by repeating the same experiment over and over again, poking and prodding at reality from as many different angles as possible. The question then is how do you, we suspend our subjective and socially influenced perceptions long enough to catch a glimpse of objective reality? If we're able to do so, does the, fact, or does the absence of subjective opinion and social construction constitute fact? Of course, all of this is founded on the idea that our objective reality, fact, is warped by our subjective reality, which is our opinion. But what if the opposite is true? What if one shared opinion can influence human behavior in such a way that it forces change on our objective reality? What if, for example, one toxic opinion, when you're a star, they let you do it, is voiced loudly and frequently enough that an overwhelming majority of people accept it as a part of their shared reality? What impact does the majority's subsequent behavior have on objective reality? I don't have the answer to these questions, but here's my opinion. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> so, facing the facts, fake news is political gaslighting. Now, gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse in which the abuser manipulates their victims into questioning their own definition of reality. Gaslighters sneakily and subtly erode their victim's self-confidence by denying the truth, refusing to take responsibility for their actions, placing themselves on a pedestal, and confusing the victim to the point of questioning their own sanity. In other words, gaslighting sounds like what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. You know, it really doesn't matter what the media writes as long as you've got a young and beautiful piece of ass. No administration has accomplished more in the first 90 days. I don't know Putin. Here's what I'm trying to get at. The era, in the era of fake news is an era of psychological warfare by and between our political leaders. It's an effort to distrust our confidence and distort our perception of reality and, as a result, undermine our democratic power. <coughs> when you find yourself, as I have, questioning the nature of reality, you've gone too deep. You've fallen victim to the narcissistic power-hungry forces behind the fake news articles and accusations peppering our social feeds. So how do you combat these manipulation tactics and regain your grip on reality? I don't know for sure, but here's my opinion. Again, take this all with a grain of salt. How to reclaim your reality and reinvigorate the collective power of democracy. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you're in the matrix, you're not alone. A gaslighter's rise to power is, for the lack of a better metaphor, like boiling a frog. It is a prolonged pattern of behavior that escalates so slowly as to be imperceptible to the victim. <clears throat> the first step to hopping out of the pot and stopping yourself from boiling is to become conscious of the heat. 
In other words, you need a change in perception. Step one, disconnect. Fake news is a distraction, is what pushed you into the pot in the first place. But distraction, as Kurt Steinhold defines it in, in uh, a Forbes article, is confusion about what really matters. In that case, defining reality in the era of fake news is a matter of rising above these distractions and instead allowing your moral and emotional compass to be your guide. It's a matter of revisiting your core values and using those values to help inform your subjective definition of reality. When you understand what's truly important to you, you can use that understanding as the lens through which you view the world, and in turn you begin to develop trust in your own perception of reality. By disconnecting from the constant stream of lies and misinformation coming from your televisions, computers, and iPhone screens, you can begin to take an accurate, unbiased pulse on the state of the world around you. In the era of fake news, tuning out is an act of self-care. Of course, I don't mean that you should tune out forever, just long enough to ground yourself and reconnect with your subjective reality. Step two is communicate. The only way to rebuild trust in yourself and others is through open, honest, and civilized conversa conversations. Sorry. <coughs> I have a tickle in my throat and I don't have water nearby. Once you've reacquainted yourself with your subjective reality, you can branch out and start to develop a better sense of your social reality. Encourage open communication and mutual respect between your friends, family, and co-workers. Ask for the opinions of those who disagree with you and listen attentively to their answers. Gently alert them when they've done or said something that hurts you. Let them know that you support them as human beings whether or not you may come to a mutual agreement. The more honesty, authenticity, and compassion you put out into the world, the safer everyone will feel to express themselves in constructive ways. With a conscious effort to practice empathy and active listening, you gain the additional perspective you need to define your current social reality. And as a result, get a little bit closer to understanding your objective reality. Mind you, defining reality is not the same as creating reality. Before you spend time trying to tell others what our shared reality should look like, work with them to understand what, is it, what it is now. As Katie Hoffman says, dismissing someone else's opinion doesn't make your opinion any more valid. Instead, it dismisses your value as a discourse participant. Case in point, think of um, what Francis Coppola said about... Because his comment was directly so it was despicable with regards to... Um, when he said, like, um, I thought uh, what... Martin said was very banal. I would have said, um, he didn't say it was despicable, which is what I have now said, or something like that. Um, so that's dismissing someone else's opinion doesn't make your opinion any more valid and said it dismisses your value as a discourse participant. Which kind of that whole thing. Just because dismissing them doesn't make your opinion any more valid, it just, yeah, dismisses your value. So, like I said, no one's opinion matters any more or less than your own. So, take all that with what you will. So, step three, act. More psychology and relationship experts agree that the best way to prevent further gaslighting is to cut off the gaslighter entirely. Of course, it's a little bit difficult when the person gaslighting you is the leader of your country, but I'm nothing if not optimistic. The beauty of this marks me is that, is that once we've reached a consensus on what our collective reality is, we can work together to transform into what it ought to be. Democracy was built for this, but it only works if we take action. 
And although action can take on many forms, it does not take the form of liking, sharing, or tweeting false and inflammatory misinformation that perpetuates the narcissistic abuse we've been subjected to as a society. Instead, we need to take a conscious step to refine our perspectives, identify and call it disinformation, what's propagated by others, and resist the urge to partake in belligerent and nonsensical debate when goaded. Everyone has responsibility to combat the scourge of fake news, explains Daryl M. West in his Brookings article. This ranges from supporting investigative journalism, reducing financial incentives for fake news, and improving digital literacy among the general public. So, time for a reality check. Everyone has an opinion, but not every opinion is based on fact. And in the era of fake news, some people are still struggling to understand the difference between fact-based opinion and opinion seemingly pulled from a hat. If it's important for you to uh, know, one, know what it is and isn't subjectively real, what you personally value and believe, know what is and isn't socially real, what's important to your society, and know what is and isn't objectively real, which is where society currently stands regardless of you or others' opinions of it. Then you need to take the steps to ensure that you can access valid information, consider that, that information from multiple perspectives, and understand the impact that information has or can have on the world around you. Yes, you may be entitled to your opinion, but in the year of fake news, it's civically irresponsible to hold anything less than a well-researched, well-informed, openly debated, and humbly refined opinion. In other words, before you go around shoving your opinion down other people's throats, first make sure that your opinion is based in objective reality. And if you decide that, yes, this opinion is truly based on concrete, corroborated facts from reliable sources, then do more than just share it with your network. Act. Now, obviously this is, like the article stated, that is one person's opinion. I think it's probably one of the best things I've read about... Um, how we view fact versus opinion and how it deals with the value of with the effects of fake news and how you can kind of be a better person in general and how you can understand what the media and everyone's trying to throw at you and what's trying to accept your own version of the reality that you live in. And I, I, I thought it was great. I think it does make for good discussion. I hope um, we can talk about this more. But since I am fighting uh, scratches in my throat that's going to trigger another cough any moment now, I think I should wrap it up. So with that said, I think that'll do it for Poor360 for this week. And like today is proven, do your research, look at it from other points of view, and find your own reality. An objective reality. And that does it for Poor360 for this week. Have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitch Radio, Spotify, and many others.